0: We're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. If you're just joining us today or you've missed a week or so of our series, The Journey, let me just recap for you where we've been so far. So we started our journey this, this Christmas time talking about the promises of God. And in particular, we, we hit a couple of very specific things that God promises, we talked about how there is a promise of restoration, and that, that is evident throughout God's story from the beginning to the end, that there is a plan of restoration and that he promises to fulfill that, that there is a promise to send a king to establish a kingdom someday that is going to last forever, and that started with Jesus coming, that there is a promise that he will not leave us alone. And these are amazing promises that we can stand on. And then we talked about how God is faithful. He is faithful to fulfill those promises. And because he is faithful, we can trust what he tells us. We can trust who he is, what we see in his text, what we see in our lives, because he is a faithful God. And then last week, Logan talked about how, because of that faithfulness of our Lord, that we can have hope, that we can look back into the past, into, into our lives, and see the moments that God was faithful to fulfill his promises, to be faithful to be who he says he is, and draw hope from that. Even in those moments that we feel just deep in the silence of the world, or just disconnected from God, we still can be able to look back and see God's faithfulness and continue to walk forward. Knowing that we have hope in that. And that's where we've been so far. And as we wrap our, our series up today, I want to talk about something that is the glue that holds all that stuff together. Why would God promise us anything? Why is He faithful to those promises? Why do we have hope? What is holding all that stuff together? And I would contend it is love, God's love. And today we're going to take some time to talk about love, because love is wrapped throughout God's story. From Genesis all the way through Revelation, we see God's love at play and at work, especially in the Advent story. God's love is present. You know, in, J- in John three sixteen and 17, it says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You guys know this verse. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But 17, verse 17 says, he did not come to condemn the world but to save it. That is love. Jesus' birth demonstrates the depth and intensity of God's love. But there's a part of this story that doesn't get as much airtime. I think, or at least in my experience in the church, I don't remember this part of the story getting a lot of time talked about. There's a lot of talk about Mary and shepherds and sheep and stars in the sky and heavenly hosts singing from on high. But this part of the story is a part that I think just really reflects, reflects perfectly God's love and God's love at work in us and in our communities. And the part of the story I'm talking about is Joseph's part. I want to talk some, spend some time today talking about Joseph's part in this story and how we can see the love of God and Joseph's love make room in his life for God to move. So if you have your Bibles with me, will you come over to Matthew chapter 1? We're going to start reading verse 18 to start picking up Joseph's story. There's not a lot in the text about Joseph. He's only in here a few times, and then we don't see him, you know, after Jesus turns 12 years old, we don't see Joseph ever again. So there's very few times that we get to see and get an idea of who Joseph is. So starting to read in verse 18, here's what God's word says. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph before the, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the holy spirit because joseph her husband was a faith was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly i want to stop here for just a second and talk about this relationship this engagement relationship between joseph and mary without going too far down a contextual rabbit trail but these relationships these engagements these betrothals in ancient times were far more binding and far more serious than what we know and see with couples who are engaged today when a couple was decided that they were going to be engaged they were viewed as being married from that very moment and there was only two ways that a couple could get out of that engagement either one of them died, or they got a divorce. Those are the only two ways to get out. And God wanted this, us to understand the, the severity of this relationship that people were making, the covenant that they were trying to make with one another. And He created laws. He gave the, the Israelites laws to, so that they understood that the fickleness of humanity needed to be put aside. And his law specifically had a lot to do with infidelity. So if uh, one of the parties was unfaithful to the other one, not only did it bring great shame upon that person and their family, but it cost their very life. When this agreement was made between two families that their son and their daughter was going to be joined together as husband and wife, the minute that they made that agreement, they were viewed as married. It's similar to our ceremonies today where you gather your friends and your family and you have your husband and your, your to-be and your wife-to-be and they're standing before these crowd of witnesses and they profess their love and they make their vows to one another and they exchange rings. And when that pastor or the preacher or whoever is doing the ceremony pronounces them husband and wife, it is from that moment on that we view them as husband and wife. Even though we have a party afterwards and there's some time before they decide, they go and finish the process of becoming husband and wife. In ancient culture, it didn't happen until that very end. But from the very moment that we said they are husband and wife, they are married in our eyes. And so it was the same with these ancient couples in this ancient culture. The moment that they agreed that they were going to be married, they were viewed as married. And now knowing this, having this in the forefront of our mind, when we jump back to, the, to Joseph and Mary's story, we see something very interesting happen. You now, we're told that Joseph was a man of faith, a righteous man who loved God. Which would make us assume potentially that what Joseph would do in this circumstance when he finds out that the woman that is to be his wife is found to be pregnant. She's been unfaithful. So being a faithful man to God, a faithful man to the law, one would assume that he would do whatever he could to end that relationship. Now He can't bring her before people and have her stoned to death as the law commands because people groups that were under the control of Rome did not have that authority. Only Rome had the authority to proclaim who got to live and who got to die. But he could have caused a social death for her. He could have brought her before the people of the village, before the elders and presented her and said, this woman was unfaithful to me. She lied to me. She cheated on me. She's pregnant with somebody else's uh, child. Heaping shame upon her over and over just so that he could be able to save face. But that is not what he does. Instead, Joseph, out of a choice of his own deep, intense love for God, his own experience of God's deep, intense love for him and other people, he makes a choice to be faithful to a different law of God's, a law that says that he should love his neighbor as himself. So Joseph comes up with a plan that he thinks is the best option to love God and love Mary, to try to help her save as much face as possible to give her a possible option where she could have somewhat of a regular life somewhere. It may not be in the village that they're in. And so he decides to divorce her quietly and give her that certificate of divorce and not heap shame upon her that she already doesn't already have. But as we continue reading in Matthew chapter 1, we see that God's plan was different for Joseph. Joseph. Picking up in verse 20, it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. Through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. God was like... Joseph, I know you're trying to do the right thing, but you're missing the mark. You're almost there, buddy. My love is more than what you're trying to do. My love does not just help people save face as you cut them out of your life. My love makes room for people. My love makes room. And so when Joseph wakes up from this bizarre dream and encounter with an angel of the Lord, that's exactly what he does. That's exactly what he does. He chooses to accept Mary and invite her into his life. He makes room for her to be his wife. He makes room to accept Jesus as his, one, his own son, even though he knows it wasn't his He makes room for the love of God to flow out of him and for Mary and their soon-to-be son to experience it. But in the process, he's also bringing in her shame that is surely still a part of her life, whether she feels it or people are projecting it on her. And as we continue the story, if we jump over to Luke chapter 2, We see a more detailed account of this Christmas story, and we can see exactly what I'm telling you, talking about. Come over to Luke 2 with me. Starting in verse 1, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Every time I read or hear this story, I can't help but have the default picture in my mind that I've had the whole time I've been growing up in the church. Mary and Joseph walking down a hill at night, Mary's huge, pregnant, riding on a donkey. You got the star in the sky above them. They roll into Bethlehem at like two in the morning because it takes forever, I guess, to walk down there from Nazareth. And when they roll into town, they just need a place to stay. So it's a small town. There's only one motel. So they go to the Motel 6 and ask if the light is still on. It's not. There's no room for them in the inn. And so they... Find another place. They somehow find a place, a a stable to stay in for the night. And while they're there, Mary gives birth. But I'd like to give you maybe something else. I'd like to suggest maybe a different scenario. One that is, I think, a continuation of the story of love in Joseph's life. You see, this is a culture that is steeped in shame and honor. It's a huge motivator. Making decisions based on whether it will bring shame upon you and your family or honor upon you and your family is a very, very big deal. And we saw a little bit of that with Joseph when he decided that he was going to make a decision to try to, to do the, best, uh, the right thing by God's law but also take care of Mary. But there's another aspect in this culture that this pops up in a lot and that's with regards to hospitality. Are you going to be a generous, kind, friendly host to family and friends and guests or strangers? Because making a choice to be hospitable to somebody that walks into your area is bringing honor upon your family. And making the choice to not be hospitable brings shame. This past September, Josh and I got the amazing opportunity to go on a study trip to Turkey. Turkey. And while we were there, we were going to all these different cities, uh, different sites where the early church had been established uh, after Jesus had left and the disciples were spreading the word. And Particularly, we were stopping at all these different places where churches, uh, where the churches that are addressed in Revelation 2 and 3 in those letters. And one day, we are at the ancient site of Sardis, which I have some pictures of our time there for you guys to, to peek at while I'm talking about this. So we're in this area where Sardis was. We're standing in the midst of this giant vineyard in the shade of this huge fig tree, looking up over this beautiful landscape, that mountain right there, that is where the the main city was located up there. And we're listening to Brad give his teaching in this area. And as we're doing that, this dude rolls by on the road. You can see him in this upper left picture on a little motorcycle. I think it was a little moped. I believe he's the vineyard owner. And he rolled by us to check on his grapes that were drying out on that concrete pad up there. And as we're just kind of hanging out, listening to Brad teach and engaging and stuff, he starts moseying his way down the 100 yards or so to where where we were. And he's just kind of hanging out on the outskirts of our group, listening, watching. And then he starts walking around his tree and looking at the figs and pulling them off, finding all the ones that are ripe. And he gets this big bundle of them in his arms and then he starts walking around the group, handing them out to people. He's like, thank you for visiting our country. You are welcome here. Thank you. Thank you. And this is just one of the examples that we experienced while we were there from the people that lived in Turkey, the immense generosity and kindness to this weird group of Americans that were complete strangers to them. But this is not what I think we see in Luke 2. It's not the kind of hospitality I think that Joseph and Mary experienced when they roll into Bethlehem, which is strange, not just because of how important hospitality is to this culture then and now today, but because of where they were going and who would have not given them hospitality. Hospitality. I think the people that didn't give them the hospitality that they requir- needed or deserved was Joseph's family they were going to Bethlehem because of the census because that's where David was from that's where his family is at and when they rolled into town why would they try to go find a room in an inn instead of going to their family to stay with them And so when Joseph shows up on the doorstep with his pregnant wife hoping that his family will make the choice that he had made to make room to love her like he is loving her. To make room to accept her and invite her into their house as one of the family. But instead... Joseph's family looks at them and says, we don't do that here. We don't have room for you guys. I cannot imagine the devastation that Joseph may have felt just hoping upon hope all the way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem that his family would just Reflect the love of God to this young woman that was his bride, like he was doing it. But instead, they chose to see only her shame and not her blessing. So instead of Mary and Joseph being surrounded by family when Jesus was born, they were surrounded by animals in a stable. And instead of being laid in the arms of family, he was laid into the manger, a feeding trough. I think Joseph knew that when he was making that decision to, to love Mary the way God was calling him to, to make room for her in his life, that there were going to be potential consequences. There would be potential costs for him personally Because he was laying aside his own desires, his own needs, his own wants in life to bring her into his life. Costs like tension between he and his family. Costs like having to escape to Egypt in the middle of the night because a tyrannical, evil king is going to come out and try to find your son to kill him. But this is the kind of man that Joseph was. He was a man who loved God, who was faithful to his word. He was a man who made room for people in his life that others saw that it was difficult to do. He was a man that despite the baggage that somebody came with, into his life, accepted them for who they were so that he could be a reflection of that intense, deep love that he knew of God's to this person. Is it any wonder why this is the man that God chose to be the father, the earthly father of Jesus? To be the model of what it looks like to be faithful to God, to be a righteous man? to walk out what it looks like to love others and to love God, I don't think there's any accident there. And I would be so bold to say that Jesus did indeed learn from Joseph what it meant to be a righteous, faithful man of God. Because he did exactly the same thing as Joseph. He made room in his life for those that others didn't want to. Look at that group of people he gathered to himself. Those 12 men that he called to be his closest friends. That is a ragtag group of guys. But he loved them. And he made room for them. And he modeled for them what it looks like to show one another God's love. To make room for, your, for others in your life. And those guys modeled it to their disciples, who modeled it for their disciples, and so on, and so on. And here we are today. We all know what it means to make room for people in our lives. We may not always know exactly what that looks like. We don't necessarily know all the, the details of how that plays out because I don't know about you guys, I haven't been visited by an angel in my dreams as of late. But we know. We have an idea of what it can look like because we've seen it and we've experienced it in our lives. You know, as I was growing up, I watched my parents and even still today, they do the same thing. They, we lived on, they still live in the same house, a street that is right on the main thoroughfare going up to downtown, a little town in, in Montana. And people walk by there all the time. And there would be people that would come and knock on our door, and they still do today, in the middle of the night, that needed help. Needed money, needed a ride, needed prayer, And my mom and dad always took the time to give them what they needed, to love them, to show them the love that God had been showing them to this group of people that not many people wanted to make time for. And I've done the best that I can, I think, to try to carry that legacy on, looking for opportunities to to make room to love people wherever I can. and I just heard a story yesterday from my son that maybe I, I've been doing okay at it. He called us yesterday. He was, he's, he was on his way home for leave from New York, and he's in the Newark airport. And he got there really early because he was worried about missing his flight. But while he was there waiting for the ticket counter to open two guys approached him and started talking to him and telling him about how their their ride had abandoned them at the airport they hadn't eaten all day they didn't know what they were going to do and my son who doesn't make any money paid for lunch for them took them over grabbed them a meal Super proud moment for me. To see the legacy that my parents have started carrying on through my kids. To love people well. To make room and time for people even when it's not convenient. Are we all seeing people that may be on the fringes? Are we seeing people that may not be in our normal social circles and inviting them in, making room for them in our lives? Are we finding ways to make room for reconciliation or restoration of broken relationships with family or friends? Or maybe for some of us, Instead of looking for that, we need to be looking for ways to accept the invitation that people are given to us, to be willing to step into those places that people are making for us in their lives and experience the love of God through what they are doing. Are we accepting that invitation? It's, it's like the invitation that Jesus gives us in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, he says this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Yet another promise that we get to grab hope from that he is going to fulfill someday to bring us to the place that he has prepared for us to be with him yet again. There is room for us in his love. There is room for all of us. Are we working to invite as many people as we possibly can to God's house with us? Are we making room for others in our lives to love them and show them God's love? Each week we get the opportunity to take communion together. If you're new with us here we would love for you to, to do this with us. If you have made that profession and commitment to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, there's room for you here. We invite you to celebrate with us as we remember what he has done for us. This is uh, <laughs> the ultimate symbol of the love of God, isn't it? His sacrifice, what he was willing to do for us. I love that we get to remember that each week. But not only that, but it's also a promise. Because in one of the area in one of the the texts where he's where this happens, he says, I'm not gonna eat or drink of this again until I do it with you in my kingdom. He's coming back. And we'll do it with him later on. But until then. Let us celebrate together and remember that God has made room for us and for those who are not here today, for those of us who have people we work with or go to school with, there's room for all those people in God's house. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember the love that he showed us with this. And after the meal, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of it, eat this bread and drink this cup. you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes again. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as a family. Lord, we thank you that there is room here for all of us in your family. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent your son to be here. What we get to remember every year at this time. But Lord, I also thank you that you love us so much that you're coming back for us. That you have... You have created a place to, for us all to be with you. And so, Lord, I, I pray today as we leave here that we will keep our eyes and our ears open for ways that we can pass that love on to those around us. That we can make room in our lives to love those who some might think are unlovable or difficult to love. Lord, give us the courage and the boldness to be faithful to you like Joseph was. To stand firm on your promises and make room to love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, Have a great week.